Welcome, friends, to another episode of Sleepy Time Stories. I hope you've been enjoying these episodes. I hope they've been helping you to get to sleep, to let go of the worries of the day, and to think about fantastic other worlds and stories that you may never have heard before. I'm your host, Robots, and as always, welcome to the show. Now, if you are into these shows and you're into listening to Sleepy Time Stories, your support would be extremely welcome. And there's a few different ways that you can support this show. One, go to iTunes and leave a review, rate the show, and leave a, leave a review. Let people know what you like about the show and if it works for you. And in future episodes, I might even call out some of those reviews and read them out on the show. Another thing you can do is if you have friends who are looking for a way to help them get to sleep, then recommend the show to your friends. Let them know, hey, I found this really interesting, unique show, and I'd love for you to take a listen. Just give it a try. They may enjoy it. And if you're into this show and you are curious about some of the other things going on in the Robots Radio Network, head over to robotsradio.net and you'll find a list of all the shows on the network. I'm your host, Robots, and I host a variety of shows on the network. None of the other shows are, at least that I host, are focused on helping you get to sleep at night, but they are interesting and I think they are actually pretty cool. Chances are you've, if you're into the Elder Scrolls world and you're into podcasts, then you've probably heard of the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. It's another show that I do. Then there's the Fallout Lorecast and then Robots Thoughts where I go on about some of the things I think, some of the things I think about. Sometimes it's further details into these worlds, these games. And sometimes it's thoughts about being a human and the best ways to live our lives. And I think I can drop some little bits of nuggets here and there for you to potentially use in your day-to-day endeavors to improve your life 
to be a better person and those kinds of things. Also, if you're looking for more of this Elder Scrolls information, most of the shows so far, actually all of the shows so far on Sleepy Time Stories have been reading through the Elder Scrolls books from inside the Elder Scrolls games, games like Skyrim and Elder Scrolls Online. And if you really want a deep dive into the lore, go check out Written in Uncertainty with Aramithius. I think you'll get a kick out of that. So today, tonight I should say, I'll be reading a recommendation that came to me from one of the members in our community, uh, Okalg, over on our Discord channel, which is in the show notes if you'd like to jump in and share your thoughts on the show or talk to other people who may have similar interests. And Okog says that it would be interesting to read The Great War, the book of the Great War, as seen in Skyrim. And this is actually a fairly long book. It has several parts for being a video game story book. And it details the details about what happens during the Great War in the Elder Scrolls. So without further ado, let's dive into a concise account of the Great War between the Empire and the Aldmeri Dominion by Legate Justianus Quintius, a soldier's summation of the major events before and during the Great War. Author's note. Much of what is written in this book is pieced together from documents captured from the enemy during the war interrogation of prisoners and eyewitness accounts from surviving soldiers and imperial officers. I myself commanded the 10th Legion in Hammerfell and Cyrodiil until I was wounded in 175 during the assault on the imperial city. That said, the full truth of some events may never be known. I have done my best to fill in the gaps with educated conjectures based on my experience as well as my hard-earned knowledge of the enemy. Section 1. The Rise of the Thalmer Although it is not well known, Somerset Isle suffered from the Oblivion Crisis as much as Cyrodiil did. 
the elves made war upon the oblivion invaders, occasionally even crossing over to close down oblivion gates. As a nation, they had more success than Cyrodiil did, although the limitless Daedric hordes made the outcome a foregone conclusion. The Thalmor had always been a powerful faction within Somerset Isle, but had also always been a minority voice. During the crisis, the Crystal Tower was forced to give the Thalmor greater power and authority. Their efforts almost certainly saved Somerset Isle from being overrun. They capitalized on their success to seize total control in the fourth era, year 22. They renamed the nation Alinor, which harkens back to an earlier age before the ascendancy of man. Most people outside of the Aldmeri Dominion still call it Somerset Isle, either out of peevishness or ignorance. In the fourth era, year 29, the government of Valenwood was overthrown by Thalmor collaborators, and a union with Alinor proclaimed. It appeared that Thalmor agents had formed close ties to certain Bosmeri factions even before the Oblivion Crisis. The Empire and its Bosmer allies, caught completely off guard, were quickly defeated by the much better prepared Altmer forces that inv invaded Valenwood on the heels of the coup. Thus was the Altmeri Dominion reborn. Shortly after, the Almiri Dominion severed all contact with the Empire. For 70 years, they were silent. Most scholars believe there was some sort of internal strife in Alinor, but very little is known of the factional struggles that went on inside the Dominion while the Thalmor consolidated its power in Somerset and Valenwood. In the fourth era, 98, the two moons, Masser and Secunda, vanished. Within most of the Empire, this was viewed with trepidation and fear, and elsewhere it was far worse. 
culturally, the moons are much more influential to the Khajiit. After two years of the void nights, the moons returned. The Thalmor announced that they had restored the moons using previously unknown dawn magics. But it is unclear if they truly restored the moons or just took advantage of foreknowledge that they would return. Regardless of the truth of the matter, the Khajiit credited the Thalmor as their saviors. Within 15 years, Imperial influence in elsewhere had so diminished that the empire was unable to respond effectively to the coup of the fourth era 115 which dissolved the elsewhere confederacy and recreated the ancient kingdoms of anakina and Palatine as client states of the Aldmeri Dominion. Once more, the Empire failed to stop the advance of Thalmor power. When Titus Mede II ascended the throne in the fourth era 168, he inherited a weakened empire. The glory days of the Septims were a distant memory. Valenwood and elsewhere were gone, ceded to the Thalmor enemy. Blackmarsh had been lost to Imperial rule since the aftermath of the Oblivion Crisis. Morrowind had never recovered fully from the eruption of Mount Vardenfell. Hammerfell was plagued by infighting between crowns and forebears. Only High Rock, Cyrodiil, and Skyrim remained prosperous and peaceful. Emperor Titus Mede had only a few short years to consolidate his rule before his leadership was put to the ultimate test. The war begins. On the 30th of Frostfall, 4th Era 171, the Aldmeri Dominion sent an ambassador to the Imperial City with a gift in a covered cart and an ultimatum for the new Emperor. The long list of demands included staggering tributes, disbandment of the blades, outlawing the worship of Talos, and seating large sections of Hammerfell to the Dominion. Despite the warnings of his generals of the Empire's military weakness, Emperor Titus Mede II rejected the ultimatum 
the Thalmor ambassador upended the cart, spilling over a hundred heads on the floor. Every Blades agent in Somerset and Valenwood. And so began the Great War, which would consume the Empire and the Aldmeri Dominion for the next five years. Within days, Aldmeri armies invaded Hammerfell and Cyrodiil simultaneously. A strong force commanded by the Thalmor general, Lord Nerefin, attacked Cyrodiil from the south. Marching out of the hidden camps in northern elsewhere and flanking the imperial defenses along the Valenwood border, Leowin soon fell to the invaders, while Breville was cut off and besieged. At the same time, an Aldmeri army under Lady Arenelia crossed into western Cyrodiil from Valenwood, bypassing Anvil and Kavach and crossing into Hammerfell. Smaller Aldmeri forces landed along the southern coastline of Hammerfell. The disunited Red Guard forces offered only scattered resistance to the invaders, and much of the southern coastline was quickly overrun. The greatly outnumbered Imperial legions retreated across the Alakir Desert in the now famous March of Thirst. Fourth Era 172 to 173. The Eldmeri advance into Cyrodiil. It appears now that the initial Aldmeri objective was in fact the conquest of Hammerfell, and that the invasion of Cyrodiil was intended only to pin down the Imperial legions while Hammerfell was overrun. However, the surprising initial success of Lord Nerefin's attack led the Thalmor to believe that the Empire was weaker than they had thought. The capture of the Imperial City itself and the complete overthrow of the Empire thus became their primary objective for the next two years. As we know, the Thalmor nearly achieved their objective. It was only because of our Emperor's determined leadership during the Empire's darkest hour that this disaster was averted. During the Fourth Era, 172, the Altmeri advanced deeper 
into Cyrodiil. Breville and Anvil both fell to the invaders. By the end of the year, Lord Narifin had advanced to the very walls of the Imperial City. There were fierce naval clashes in Lake Rumere and along the Nibbin as the Imperial forces attempted to hold the Eastern Bank. In Hammerfell, the Thalmor were content to consolidate their gains as they took control of the whole southern coastline, which was in fact their stated objective in the ultimatum delivered to the Emperor. Of the southern cities, only Haggath still held out. The survivors of the March of Thirst regrouped in northern Hammerfell joined by reinforcements from High Rock. The year 4th era 173 saw stiffening imperial resistance in Cyrodiil, but the seemingly inexorable Aldmeri advance continued. Fresh legions from Skyrim bolstered the Emperor's main army in the Imperial City, but the Aldmeri forced the crossing of the Nibbin and began advancing in force up the eastern bank. By the end of the year, the Imperial City was surrounded on three sides. Only the northern supply route to Bruma remained open. In Hammerfell, Imperial forces took a turn for the better. In year 4th era 173, a forebear army from Sentinel broke the siege of Hegath, a crown city leading to the reconciliation of the two factions. Despite this, Lady Arenelia's main army succeeded in crossing the Alkir Desert. The Imperial legions under General Decianus met them outside Skaven in a bloody an indecisive clash. Decianus withdrew and left Arenalia in possession of Skaven, and the Aldmeri were too weakened to continue their advance. Fourth Era, Year 174, The Sack of the Imperial City. In the fourth era, 174, the Thalmor leadership committed all available forces to the campaign in Cyrodiil. 
gambling on a decisive victory to end the war once and for all. During the spring, Almiri reinforcements gathered in southern Cyrodiil, and on 12th of Second Seed, they launched a massive assault on the Imperial City itself. One army drove north to completely surround the city, while Lord Nerefin's main force attacked the walls from the south, east, and west. The Emperor's decision to fight his way out of the city rather than make a last stand was a bold one. No general dared advise him to abandon the capital, but Titus II was proven right in the end. While the 8th Legion fought a desperate and doomed rearguard action on the walls of the city, Titus II broke out of the city to the north with his main army smashing through the surrounding Aldmeri forces and linking up with the reinforcements marching south from Skyrim under General Janna. Meanwhile, however, the capital fell to the invaders and the infamous sack of the Imperial City began the Imperial Palace was burned, the White Gold Tower itself looted, and all manner of atrocities carried out by the vengeful elves on the innocent populace. In Hammerfell, General Decianus was preparing to drive the Eldmeri back from Skaven when he was ordered to march for Cyrodiil. Unwilling to abandon Hammerfell completely, he allowed a great number of invalids to be discharged from the legions before they marched east. These veterans formed the core of the army that eventually drove Lady Arenalia's forces back across the Alakir late in 174, taking heavy losses on the retreat from harassing attacks by the Alakir warriors. Fourth Era, 175, the Battle of the Red Ring. During the winter of the Fourth Era, 174, 175. The Thalmor seemed to have believed that the war in Cyrodiil was all but over. They made several attempts to negotiate with Titus II. The Emperor encouraged them in their belief that he was preparing to surrender. Meanwhile, he gathered his forces to retake the Imperial City. 
in what is now known as the Battle of the Red Ring, a battle that will serve as a model for Imperial strategists for generations to come. Titus II divided his forces into three. One army, with the legions from Hammerfell under General Decianus, was hidden in the Colovian Highlands near Coral. The Almiri were unaware that he was no longer in Hammerfell possibly because the Imperial veterans Dacinius had left behind led Lady Arenalia to believe that she still faced an Imperial army. The second army, largely of Nord legions under General Jonna, took up position near Chadenhall. The main army was commanded by the Emperor himself and would undertake the main assault of the Imperial City from the north. On the 30th of Rain's Hand, the bloody battle of the Red Ring began as General Decineus swept down on the city from the west while General Jonas' legionnaires drove south along the Red Ring Road in a two-day assault. Jonas' army crossed the Nibbin and advanced west, attempting to link up with Decineus' legion and thus surround the Imperial City. Lord Nerefin was taken by surprise by Decianus's assault, but Jonah's troops faced bitter resistance as the Altmeri counterattacked from Breville and Skingrad. The heroic Nord legionnaires held firm, however beating off the piecemeal Admiri attacks. By the fifth day of the battle, the Admiri army in the Imperial City was surrounded. Titus II led the assault from the north, personally capturing Lord Narfin. It is rumored that Emperor wielded the famed sword Goldbrand, although this has never been officially confirmed by the Imperial government. An attempt by the Aldmeri to break out of the city to the south was blocked by the unbreakable shield wall of General Jonah's battered legions. In the end, the main Eldmeri army in Cyrodiil was completely destroyed. The Emperor's decision to withdraw from the Imperial City in the Fourth Era 174 
was bloodily vindicated. Lord Nerefin was kept alive for 33 days, hanging from the white gold tower. It is not recorded where his body was buried, if it was buried at all. Once sources claims he was carried off by a winged Daedra on the 34th day. The white gold concordat and the end of the war. Although victorious, the imperial armies were in no shape to continue the war. The entire remaining imperial force was gathered in Cyrodiil, exhausted and decimated by the Battle of the Red Ring. Not a single legion had more than half its soldiers fit for duty. Two legions had been effectively annihilated, not counting the loss of the Eighth during the retreat from the Imperial City the previous year. Titus II knew that there would be no better time to negotiate peace. And late in the Fourth Era, 175, the Empire and the Eldmeri Dominion signed the White Gold Concordat ending the Great War. The terms were harsh, but Titus II believed it was necessary to secure peace and give the Empire a chance to regain its strength. The two most controversial terms of the Concordat were the banning of the worship of Talos and the cessing of a large section of southern Hammerfell, most of what was already occupied by Eldmeri forces. Critics have pointed out that the Concordat is almost identical to the ultimatum the Emperor rejected five years earlier. However, there is a great difference between agreeing to such terms under the mere threat of war and agreeing to them at the end of a long and destructive war. No part of the Empire would have accepted these terms in the Fourth Era 171, dictated by the Thalmor at Swords Point. Titus II would have faced civil war. By the Fourth Era 175, most of the Empire welcomed peace at almost any price. Epilogue Hammerfell fights on alone. Hammerfell, however, refused to accept the white gold concordat 
being unwilling to concede defeat and the loss of so much of their territory, Titus II was forced to officially renounce Hammerfell as an imperial province in order to preserve the hard-won peace treaty. The Red Guards understandably looked on this as a betrayal. In this, the Thalmor certainly achieved one of their long-term goals by sowing lasting bitterness between Hammerfell and the Empire. In the end, the heroic Red Guards fought the Almeri Dominion to a standstill. Although the war lasted for five more years and left Southern Hammerfell devastated, the Red Guards say that this proves that the White Guard Concordat was unnecessary and that if Titus II had kept his nerve, the Altmiri could have been truly defeated by the combined forces of Hammerfell and the rest of the Empire. The truth of that assertion can, of course, never be known. But the Red Guards should not forget the great sacrifice of imperial blood, Breton, Nord, and Cyrodiilic at the Battle of the Red Ring that weakened the Dominion enough to allow the eventual Second Treaty of Stras Mackay in the Fourth Era 180 and the withdrawal of Almiri forces from Hammerfell. There can be no doubt that the current peace cannot last forever. The Thalmor take the long view, as is proved by the sequence of events leading up to the Great War. All those who value freedom over tyranny can only hope that before it's too late, Hammerfell and the Empire will be reconciled and stand united against the Thalmor threat. Otherwise, any hope to stem the tide of Thalmor rule over all of Tamriel is dimmed. So the question is, how much does this story foreshadow the events of the upcoming Elder Scrolls? It's going to be a few years still until we can find out, but I have a feeling the events that are put in place in this document are going to serve as a backdrop for the events moving forward. I hope you've enjoyed the reading for tonight. And 
If you haven't learned to do this yet, I hope that you've figured out a way to set these shows so that when this one finishes, it moves directly into one of the previous episodes. That way you can get a soothing, non-ending experience in order to help you sleep. I've been your host, Tom, or Robots, and I thank you for tuning in. I'll see you on the next show, and have a good night.